You're on the run home with uh, Beave and Brad. Beave beaming in live from Paris, looking like a million bucks uh, after his run yesterday morning. Um, and he's having another one today. Uh, <laughs> exactly, Beave. Exactly. Uh, what we are. 40-odd hours removed from potentially the downfall of Australian rugby, certainly in the short term. And in fact, as I'm sitting here in the studio, Beef, I'm watching an in-panel studio rugby show uh, with James Horwell, former Wallaby skipper, um, and they're just going through the, the dissection of what happened in that game. I still can't really believe it, Beef. 40 points to 6. No one saw that coming. We saw Wales winning. And I remember you saying on Friday, Wales in a tight one, 3 or 4 points. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Let's be honest, Wales haven't exactly been setting the world on fire, but you're only as good as your position allows you to be. And geez, uh, Aussie allowed them to be world beaters. Now, I obviously, um, if there wasn't much analysis on the Wallabies' performance yesterday, it was probably because I was at the pub uh, when that fixture was on, so I didn't want to really critique it. But I had the chance yesterday uh, during a few cups of uh, tea on the side streets of Paris to look over a bit of footage, and my word. Some of that, some of that came way too easy. Um, it's and like I'm, I'm talking about sort of fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old stuff. That first try, you should never, never be able to score off an inside pass off a set piece because everyone is situated. You can you can count your numbers. If it works out three or four or five channels wider, then maybe, maybe they can manipulate you, hold someone up in the middle of the defensive line and then get it on an inside ball. To get the Wallabies in the very first sort of really attacking opportunity off an inside ball one or two channels out is absolutely ridiculous. And like you look at the coaching, and, and I know their coaching crew... Obviously, it was thrown together because everyone was pulling out the last minute. Mm. But they had two guy, two league guys on the on the coaching panel. Now, obviously, league guys have a long and storied history of being great rugby union defence coaches. But there's, there's two of them. So what's the second one doing? And, you know, you start to look at... And obviously, Eddie probably isn't coaching any portfolio as such. He'll be overseeing everything and managing it, blah, blah, blah. So who's coaching what? And because they just look so disorganised and structurally, because you keep hearing these Australians, the ex the ex commentators talk about structurally and all the rest of it, and you're thinking, well, surely everyone's got the structures, you know, like it's pretty, everyone's got pretty similar structures, blah blah blah. But when you're actually looking at them, you're like, well, maybe they don't have what you'd be perceived as pretty basic stuff, because they are so far off it. And some of those tries, as I said, Brad, I looked over them more yesterday. They were so soft, mate. What makes it even more disappointing from an Australian standpoint, Beavers, in the Dunedin test, um, and I know you were there, uh, and I know, I know they weren't playing the best All Blacks 15, but they were excellent for that first 40 minutes. They had go-forward ball. Carter Gordon played okay. They had a bit of impetus from Corabetti. Uh, they looked good up front. Um, uh, McWright had a, had a good first half. I know they faded in the second, but... They, they looked well coached in the first half of that game and they've they've completely fallen off a cliff since that 40 minutes. Yeah, but in hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? But you look back now, Brad, and was that just a case of no pressure, free hit? Yeah. And and then you look at the reality of going into these pool games and you can see it in their eyes. And <laughs> I joke about, like, you can see things in people's eyes, but 
you could see that Fiji, and in the decision makers' eyes, you could see that they were already seeing almost the aftermath unfolding in their, in their, they could see this horror movie that had been talked about during the week, but oh no, it's starting to play out here. And the sinking feeling that you could just see was going through their headspace, and then the Welsh game. Like, there must have been a huge lack of belief going into that one anyway. And then with that first couple of minutes for Wales to score so easy and then just start to accumulate the points. I mean, they were already seeing <laughs> the writing was on the wall yeah. long before full-time. And, and then to see things like y- your fans leaving early and, and stuff like that. But, I mean, let's be honest. Like, we were watching Super Rugby and, say, Donaldson was playing 10 there. Well, I watched a bit of the New South Wales this year against Kiwi teams, and they were in games with 15 or 20 minutes to go. But, you know, and no fault of his own, he's still learning his craft. And, and first five is a position that takes a long time. But you could see that they weren't going to win that because there are opportunities and moments in those last 15 or 20 minutes against Kiwi teams where they just missed. And a lot of it was going back to decision-making. And it is it is a sad state. I mean... Yes, we're all having a bit of fun with it at the moment, but, geez, they're in a sad state of affairs. I see they're ranked number 10 in the world. Geez, it's only going to get worse. There's a text here. There's a, there's a great text that came in from one of our, uh, one of our listeners here, um, Josh from Tawa, and he says, I know the Wallabies would qualify as hosts of the next World Cup if they lost to Portugal, but if they don't, would they, would they fit qualification tournaments into their pack schedule? Yeah. <laughs> um, because if you don't finish in the top three, obviously you miss out on automatic qualification. Now, they're going to probably finish in the top three. They can't. It's not humanly possible to lose to Portugal, I'd imagine, being professional rugby players like Australia are. But that's the level they've sunk to. If if they're still 10th after this World Cup and the rankings, then uh, I'll probably be a little bit surprised. Yeah, uh, they've been horrible. Uh, I do have a question without notice for you on Wallaby Rugby shortly, but first, um, have a listen to this, Beef. This is Steve Hansen talking on the AM show this morning in defence of his mate, Eddie Jones. Eddie has been a great coach. He still is a great coach. Um, it'd be really, really easy to turn around and, and uh, talk about the coaching and the players, but the inconvenient facts are that Australian rugby uh, needs an overhaul. And um, it has done for some time. They haven't won the Bledisloe Cup for 20 years. Um, they've gone through a cycle of sacking coaches, Robbie Deans, Dave Rennie, McKenzie. Like what they've got to do is actually peel the onion back and have a look at what, what's not going right. Are they developing uh, coaches properly? I don't mm. think so. Are but, they developing but... their players properly? I don't think so. Uh, rugby competition, super rugby competition, right for Australia, having five teams? I don't think so. He's got to try and create some belief in his group. That's all he's done. And, and mm. OK, well, he, would I have done that? Maybe not, but I'm not Eddie. And I'm not, I'm not working in that environment. And, uh, you know, if the worst thing he's done is said that they can win the World Cup and they haven't, then you know, he'll join a lot of other coaches. 2007, we thought we were going to win it and we got beaten. And it forced us to actually... A, the New Zealand Rugby Union um, gave us a second shot, and then it forced us to answer some of the, the questions that needed to answer that were just not surface questions. They were the ones that were a bit deeper. Australian mm. rugby needs to do that. Until until they do that, they're not going to get any better. Like They're very tribal. If you look at Australia, what they're really great at, and, and the state of origin is a classic example of it, state v state. Now, if you're making decisions that are based on the state and not the national game, then you're not going to get things right. 
But he's, look, we know that Shag likes to defend his mates. He's done that there. But he also, as he always does, makes some really good points about, A, the state of super rugby, which I know you want to blow up. And I know a lot of former Wallabies also want to blow up. And some have even come out in the last couple of days and said there's really only space now for three Australian teams if we want to get back to where we were 20 years ago. I mean, there was only eight years ago, Beave, they were in the World Cup final. When you think about it, which is which is crazy, um, but Shag is always making some great points. Yes, he defends Eddie, but also there's a lot more here than Eddie Jones not doing a very good job as coach of the Wallabies. Yeah, and there's probably a little, and for me, and I know this is a convenient one for me because I'm hot on this. But I go back to that point that I've made many times about all of a sudden people like the Highlanders getting in overseas players to fill important positions in their team, i.e. first five, which they've done now the last two years. We have five professional teams. That's one less New Zealander who's getting exposed to that. I go back to my point that I've made plenty of times. 10 or 15 years ago, Australia had two or three of their five starting tens in Super Rugby qualified for Australia. And these guys were all long-term uh, Australian rugby players in the in the system. You f- you're thinking it was Foley's and the Coopers. Everywhere else, there was no one. There was uh, a South African. There was a Kiwi, and I'm trying to think who the other one was. But there was only three eligible to play for the Wallabies across their starting five eights. Now, where are Wallabies going down? Well, they had they don't have any decent decision makers in the most important position on the field, be it ten, and they are losing their way. And yes, that's not going to they're not going to solve everything. But i tell you what, if they had a Stephen Larkin running around, if they had a Matt Gitto running around, the world would be a whole lot better place for Wallabies. They certainly wouldn't be losing to Fiji and they wouldn't be losing by 40 points to a pretty, well, I mean, two months ago, a very average Welsh team. Yeah. Who are now looking like semi-finalists at the World Cup. Potential opponents for the AB's beef. Um, and my question without notice for you today, and this has been alluded to by uh, Warren Gatland and Scott McLeod in the last couple of days, does New Zealand rugby need to not so much step in here, but does New Zealand rugby need to almost assist and almost force the hand of the of Australian rugby and say, hey, man, we've got to sort this out for the benefit of both of our nations? If we stay in bed with them, yes. But oh, I wouldn't bend over backwards for them. Um, I would, if, if, we are, if we are committed to this route of the Super Rugby Trans Tasman, then yep, fair enough. We do what we can do, but they don't probably want to know what we can do. I.e., three teams or four teams, absolutely maximum. Yeah, they don't want that. They don't want that reality. They haven't wanted it for the last ten years, and it has been glaringly obvious for anyone in the game that they don't have the depth for it. And when Australia's rugby was at its strongest, they had three teams. Mm. And, <laughs> and when you look at look at it from that point of view, but no, I mean. From my point of view, yep, the Bledisloe Cup out of interest is important that they're strong because you don't want to turn on a Bledisloe Cup game like we have for the last how many years and knowing the result before the 80 minutes has unfolded. But from a from a competition point of view, if you and Jacob don't want to watch a game between a New Zealand and Australian team on a Friday night, then there's your answer. Get them out, blow up the NPC, get the drawer in, maybe get two teams from Fiji, give Tonga and Samara a team each, and away we go that way. Because we don't need to hold back our development, our, our viewership. Because let's be honest, who watches an Australian Australian derby? No one. N- no one here. here on the show. No <laughs> one. 
And and who would even watch a New Zealand team play Australia these days? If there's nothing else on, maybe if it's raining outside and it's not daylight saving, yeah, I guess I could watch uh, the Chiefs play Queensland. But is there very much interest? No, because I know the result before the ball's even kicked off. Yes. Uh, great thoughts there from Stephen Donalds on the current state of Wallabies <laughs> rugby. Uh, superb as always, my friend. 14 minutes away from five. We'll get Beeve to read out some of your teamless Tuesday texts next. Remember, a team of wonder kids. Uh, get names and positions through. Thank you very much.